Welcome back mm. to another episode of ADD News, where we have a guest for the first time. Ryan, would you like to introduce yourself? Hey, uh, what's going on, guys? I'm not really anyone hugely horribly important, other than the fact that I guess I, Marcus and I kind of go way back. We used to <laughs> we used to compete in uh, NCFCA together, did a lot of homeschool Christian stuff. We we weren't like best friends or anything or hanging out, but we were both kind of in the same in the same area and then at, on our own life paths. Um, I eventually, I was, you know, raised, raised super evangelical, raised super Christian, and we both sort of independently had a lot of issues with that, with a lot of the conservatism, a lot of the conservative politics and Christian ideology, and kind of sort of discovered that we both had come to the same conclusions across so- social media. So we started talking because it's just, it's kind of nice to be able to vent to people about like, hey, uh, I had this problem. Did you have this problem too? Oh yeah. And it's it's kind of been... It's kind of been fun to like reconnect and uh, and share some similar experiences and swap stories. Yes. And with that, I, I think that this is a good opportunity for all of us to kind of uh, introduce ourselves a little bit better. Um, yeah. So I'll piggyback off of that and say that, yeah, I was homeschooled and uh, raised in a conservative Christian household and veered away from all of that by this point, as you all know, if you've listened this far. Um, <laughs> if you've ever met Marcos in real life or heard him speak in public. Yeah. At, le- at least since I graduated college, if you've heard me speak. <laughs> yeah. And I think that the whole crew of people that we've come across that have shared similar experiences of a background in conservatism and, and Christianity that have that have arrived at the same location that we're at today, there's a lot of them. And I think that there's a few of them that are probably uh, listening to this podcast that aren't aware that they're on their way here. But <laughs> when you get there, let us know and we'll have you on the show. Realization um, is a common. Yeah. And Rufus, would you like to give us your... Sure thing. Uh, I am Rufus. I I also grew up fairly conservative. I went to public school though. Um, that's the only real real difference there. Uh, I actually my first job was at with a Christian historian, and I am a college dropout who was studying youth ministry. I ended up getting a job with a bunch of really rich, fairly racist human beings, um, and I realized, hey, they're wrong and horrible people, and became a radical leftist. Yeah, scary. Real scary. I am the boogeyman, I guess. (laughs) Additionally, we have my girlfriend, Cass, who is joining us because we've moved in together and she has nothing else to do other than hang out with us now. I'm an innocent bystander. (laughs) I have little to no experience with religion or politics up until graduating high school. So this is all a learning experience for me. (laughs) She's our control group. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, fairly apolitical and fairly a religious, except for uh, is that how you say that? A religious, a spiritual, a a or is it non? I don't know. Anyway, um, non religious. Healthy though. I well, I don't know about that. You want to talk about your Mormonism, guys? <laughs> your history oh, with the Mormon yeah. Church. So my mom considers herself a Mormon, which is not the case. But <laughs> I took Mormon classes in like fourth grade, and it was. All right. I don't remember any of it. I remember zero of it. I just remember that I really, really loved my elders because they were super cool. Um, but my mom didn't force us to do it. She asked us, do you want to do the Mormon lessons? And we were like, sure. And then do you want to get baptized? And we were all like, no, I don't want to get dunked in water. <laughs> but um, I yeah, think no, all I the rest think. of us have been baptized, right? Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. 
twice did you do the whole thing where you're like yeah the first time i just did it because i wanted to look good but then i had a, a realization that i wasn't really part of the faith and now i wanted to recommit myself to christ no the first time was because uh, i was a kid and the second time was when i was an adult okay uh, see my mom started taking us to church one day and she decided we'd been saved during service once so i got I, they was, hey do, do you want to get baptized i was like i, I guess I, i'm i'm 10 um so that's mm-hmm. cool i can make this kind of decision uh and then in middle school, I found Christ again during church camp. Where was he? Where was he hiding? <laughs> uh, he was in Tennessee. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. That's where he's been hiding. <laughs> and, and then they said, oh, well, you I imagine the, the section where it's like, the section of the Bible where he's like, he ascended up to heaven. He's like, guys, look over there. And then just like, whoop, 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 he'd find a rock and he's Dips just been in Tennessee. Tennessee the- <laughs> <laughs> hey, look at this last I, thing I created. I feel God in this Chattanooga. Tennessee is deep south. It's deep south. It's deep something. Am I it right? Borders mm. Kentucky and all that. Right? I have no idea what you mean, but I like where you're going. Uh, with it. <laughs> it seems like um, <laughs> you right. get in there nice and deep. Like, listen, the first joke deep I learned was wide. like your mom or under the covers. <laughs> all right, I never deep and wide. No, Marcus. <laughs> deep and wide. <laughs> What the fuck? Oh man! Oh, we should have an episode where we we just sing children's Bible songs to cast the entire time. Not even like I never went to like Awana or anything like that. Oh, okay. So yeah, I I jumped right into like I jumped right into like middle school youth group and and then ever do any vacation Bible school? Uh, I was only a volunteer for it. I never attended. So you didn't attend as as a kid. You didn't get indoctrinated there. I was actually aggressively atheist right before I joined the church. <laughs> wow. And got into fights over it. Yeah, as a child. It was really weird. And I was then, angsty. And then we went to Howard Payne and everybody feigned Christianity for a while. And then uh, now you're back to the angsty. <laughs> back atheist. to your true self. <laughs> Full circle. Horseshoe yeah. theory or something. Whatever it's <laughs> so, called. It. <laughs> something like that. Um, yeah, I've been very indifferent my entire life about religion. I'm like, it's there. I don't care for it. I find it fascinating that your mom was like a non-practicing Mormon. Yeah, I've literally (laughs) never heard of that before. But it 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 makes sense. I've heard of that with lots of other religions. Right, right. Like usually, usually it's like Catholic Scientologist. Like that just seems like so. Like it seems like one of those things you really commit a hundred percent to or not at all. I'm a non-practicing atheist. Just Mm. on my mom's side. I dabble in a little bit of God. I I go to oblivion on weekends sometimes. That's pretty much it. I'm a non-practicing Satanist. That's I mean, actually, that's almost definitely a thing. It's probably yeah. encouraged, you'd feel like. They're like, you literally yeah, don't have to do the, anything the, but sign up on the website. Yeah, I mean, the dick, entire, yeah, the entire point of the church is, m- like, mostly to troll Christians mm-hmm. and and take advantage of, like, the very short-sighted for, religious freedom laws yeah. that they push for and use them against them. The Statue of Baphomet's one of my favorite things that's ever existed because oh, of it's, how uncomfortable it makes uh, religious people. And also, mm-hmm. just, in, just in case you're religious and, and, and you're listening, because... Y- I don't want to turn everyone away because probably based on the on the people we're going to be talking about today, um, you might hear this and be religious. That's the problem is not with religion or with belief. The problem is that there are people who will, on the basis of religion, 
especially in the United States, use the law as a tool to control or regulate other people's lives. Um, Christians regularly in the U.S., and this is like not – I get a lot of flack from people when I say Christians because they're like, oh, I don't believe this. Yes, there are lots of Christians who do not support using the state to enforce their beliefs on other people. But after the last election where we saw that 80 percent of evangelicals supported Donald Trump, we, that's very much the majority of Christians. So when I generalize and I say Christians do this, we actually have statistical data to be like, yeah, like 80% is, I think, enough of a threshold to say this is generally true for the majority of Christians. Like this is this is an accurate generalization. Yeah, I, I have to regularly remind my mom that, that I'm like, I'm like, it's not you, mom. Like, I know that you're all right. Like, uh, yeah. not all Christians. Okay. Think, yeah, I think a good way yeah. to summarize is like, if I'm not referring to your specific belief, then I'm not referring to you at all. Like, uh, yeah. Getting that out of the way, because I don't want to have to say it again. <laughs> I, I, I just want to make it clear that it's like never, never let it be said that I didn't clarify it. I'm mostly doing this for my sake so I could be like, no, I'm certain that I was very explicitly clear because that's that's <laughs> it. Oh, yeah. Also, I have ADHD. That's the real reason we're here. Oh, but, well, that's uh, the reason like, the whole thing exists. Um, although I think anybody who's gotten this far into our episodes probably is aware that we're talking about the uh, r- religious sect of uh, of political actors. Um, whenever we're mentioning Christians, people like uh, mm-hmm. Ted Cruz and Greg Abbott. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. 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 Yeah. Uh, all Bad that taste. out of the way. We have Ryan here today because he's our resident expert that will actually be taking over our main story for the podcast, which is going to be about Jordan Peterson. Anyway, um, Rufus, what are your or do you know anything about Jordan Peterson or what's your Um, history of knowledge of that? I don't know too much about it. He's not like on my he is not quite as like violently on my list of shitbags, which includes, you know, people like Crowder, um, Ben Shapiro. Uh, I mostly focus on like Ted Cruz and you know, Abbott and people like that. To my knowledge, he's part of like the right wing, or they call themselves the intelligentsia. He, he's one of the rights or conservatives, smart guys to refer to. He, he's someone who draws a crowd because he is able to portray himself as an intelligent human being whose ideas have reason when in fact he is displaying bigotry or in some cases nonsense. That's my knowledge of John, uh, Jordan Peterson. Uh, he shows up in a lot of videos i know that too <laughs> uh, i would say my history with him i think i knew a little bit more about him before recently because he he was very popular a few years back and then has kind of faded from the public eye and uh that being said i've had several of my friends who i grew up around that um i truly respect their intelligence who um frequently advocated for Jordan Peterson's beliefs. And I kind of like even back then, even when I was like more conservative and uh, and respected these people's like opinions on things, I still just like was uninterested in learning more about him. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it took a it took a little bit for me to actually uh, start figuring out what he was about. And is even now, one, it's limited. Is he the one who has a video on why racism isn't real or something? Uh, he he has a lot of videos on a lot of things. Um, well, yeah, I, yeah. I'm, I'm going to go over the entire go timeline of Jordan B. Peterson's rise okay. to fame. Yes. Uh, I literally don't know who he is. So. Oh, I was about to ask if Cass knew anything about him. Yeah, I'm sure, Cass, I'm pretty sure that you will be like, oh, that guy. Like, by the, like fairly <laughs> quickly. Likely. He's one of the most... Famous people on the face of the planet, I would say. Like, well-known. Mm-hmm. Um, Household name. 
Yeah, like the household name at this point. It's it's wild, like how insanely well yeah. known and how quickly he, he rose to fame. It's well, it's the, a little weird. The thing is that like because of the way that I grew up, uh, common conservative household names. I didn't. I don't know. I didn't know who Rush Limbaugh was until he died. Like I have zero Good. knowledge of anybody. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I didn't hear anything about conservatives or really any religion growing up because it just wasn't a thing in my house. So, yeah, all those household names that you guys talk about, I'm like, I have no idea who these people are. Uh, uh, yeah, I think his popularity came while I was in, uh, while I was in college at Howard Payne. So, like, it wasn't like a household name growing up, uh, but it was definitely as I was developing in the academic realm, somebody that I became aware of for a while. But Ru- Rush was one that, yeah, we all, we all definitely yeah, grew up no, around. I, I had no idea who yep. Rush was up until he died. <laughs> what a dumb name, too. <laughs> yeah, what the fuck? Rush? That's, 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 that's not even a nickname that's just that's That's just his family name yeah yeah he's like the third or fourth or whatever Mm -hmm. okay well ryan why don't you lead us in a discussion on mr peterson dr ryan what do you know about jordan peterson (laughs) yeah right i feel like you uh might know a little bit more than what we've uh well marcus it's funny you should ask I I wasn't expecting this question, but I just so happen to have (laughs) roughly 25 pages of notes oh it's lit (laughs) <laughs> how convenient that we wanted to talk what? about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, it just this is I, a crazy I, happenstance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, I first of all, I, I kind of want to clarify a couple of things about why I came on to talk about this, who I am, um, and why anyone should care what I have to say about somebody like Jordan Peterson, who has been heralded by uh, in papers such as the New York Times as the greatest mind of Western civilization. Ooh. The so, New York Times said that? I don't know. I feel like it was Marcus not in the New York Times. It was one. in an article published in the New York Times by it was an opinion piece, but oh, like okay. Ugh. But it was Opinions. published. Yeah, but it was published got in it, one it. of the most well-known newspapers. Yeah, so, the, we're yeah, going to I think it was I want to say it was the New York Times. It might have been a different paper. Um, but yeah, like he has been heralded by a lot of by a lot of people famously and been referred to as the greatest mind of western civilization in the 21st century, uh, the intellectual of the west. And he's also uh, toured globally uh, to giving talks about um, gender identity, uh, politics, psychology, uh, all these things. And I've had a lot of people, we're all, with the exception of cast, like, you know, like mid 20s white dudes. Um, well, we are not Zach or I are white. <laughs> Oh, you're, okay. Well, like it's a class. Dudes. We, that's that's the that's the class of people we like Straight hang dudes. out with. Yeah, we hang so out with white dudes. The Joe Rogan generation. <laughs> and as a result, I've had a lot of people in my life, and you guys may or may not have too. I know, I know, Marcus, you've mentioned you have um, had a lot of people that I genuinely like and care about from my more conservative past, but also from people I've just met who I would not even consider politically conservative uh, recommend Jordan Peterson to me. I never was really interested, partially because I think at the time people were recommending him to me, I was kind of trying to, to detox from Christianity and put together the pieces of my actual beliefs and the idea of just like, I think the idea of looking to a, a a person for an answer kind of felt a little too similar to like looking to a theologian or looking to a Bible. And so it wasn't something I was really interested in. But eventually this past year, like I think or like I want to say, no, gosh, wow, time is no longer linear. The pandemic is wild. But I think January around January of 2020, a really, really close friend of mine that I respect a lot um, that may even be listening to this right now. If so, hi. 
<laughs> Please, I'm trying. I'm trying to be fair. I promise. Trust me. Uh, recommended this. Fair and oh boy. Uh, um, recommended him to me, and I'm like, you know what? I, I'm gonna look into this guy. I want to see what he's all about. I'd already started delving a little bit into kind of more leftist culture, uh, left wing socialism. I had I did, up until my early 20s. So I'm 26 now. Uh, up until my early 20s, I didn't really didn't know anything about socialism, communism, uh, the writings of Karl Marx, class struggle or anything like that. I was just uh, mostly because conservative culture does a really, really good job of insulating their kids from that and then taking that out of their education, even more so if you're homeschooled. So what I ended up doing was I picked up his book, 12 Rules for Life, and I started reading through it. And I couldn't finish it in my first attempt because it was just kind of odd. So I started doing a little bit more research into him. I started with kind of the more leftist sources that I was currently looking at at the time. And I just was reading some pretty crazy claims um, of some people talking about. I've seen a lot of people on the left say that he's a Nazi. I've seen a lot of people, like a lot of people are calling him an incel. A lot of people are calling him like some pretty, some pretty serious claims. Uh, I was like, wow, okay, so polarizing figure. But at that point, I probably would have just dropped it and been like, eh, he seems like kind of a weirdo. But I really wanted to understand him because it seemed a little off to me. Like a, a lot of times you would have people on the left who would put him in the same category, kind of kind of like you did, Rufus, of the Ben Shapiro, the Dave Rubin, the, the Dave, Steven Crowder, uh, right-wing grifter type. And, and he didn't strike me as that. There's something about him that seemed a little different. And also... it. it the people that were that I knew of that really seemed to be getting something valuable out of the things he had to say were not the type of people who would have fallen for those, fell in for those other other uh, people who I do believe are disingenuous grifters for the most part. So I, I wanted to do a little bit more research on him and really try and understand him and try and understand why it was that he was so influential. And so to do that, um, now today, after about a year and a half of reading basically everything he's ever written, minus so he's written three books. I've only read one of the books, but the mass, the vast majority of his academic and just published work is not in book form. It's actually in the form of like lectures on YouTube and talks that he's given. And I've read a lot of those. The first book that he wrote was called Maps of Meeting. It's more or less his theory of everything uh, that he spent 13 years writing. That's very reductionist to say, but that's because it's a kind of a massive, extremely, in his own words, dense book. The second book that he wrote was the one that made him famous that uh, would or that I think most people know him for at least is 12 rules for life uh an antidote to chaos and most recently he uh he came out with um 12 more rules for life not not great at sequels uh but that's okay um so <laughs> it, it's hard ask fast and furious so that's yeah so i am not obviously uh, the first thing that needs to be said is that like i am obviously i'm not a psychologist which Jordan Peterson actually is. He does have a degree, a PhD in psychology and clinical psychology, which is the, so there's, there's kind of like two broad categories of psychology degrees. There's clinical psychology and research psychology. Uh, clinical is like the Freudian kind of like sit someone on the couch and talk to them and counsel them. Uh, so I don't have either of those obviously. <laughs> so, it, and I understand that like, if you're listening and maybe you're favorable to Jordan Peterson, which I, I hope that people who are can listen to this because I do want to, I do, I do want this to be something that could be for those types of people as well. Like I could be, I could see people very easily being like, well, how can you criticize him? How can you talk about him when you're, you know, 
even if he's wrong, why does should your opinion matter? Well, it shouldn't. You're right, because I'm not a psychologist, but only in the realm of talking about psychology. Jordan Peterson talks about so much more than psychology all the time. Like the vast majority of what he has to talk about is related to uh, Marxism, cultural Marxism, postmodern neo-Marxism, postmodernism, uh, gender all of these, uh, all the vast majority of these things that are history and philo- historical and philosophical, all of which we both actually have the same academic credentials in. Uh, that being that being none. But <laughs> amazing. So that being said, I will not be critiquing his science or psychology. I will be trying to talk about it a little bit, but I'm going to try and stay as value neutral as possible. I'm just going to be the only time I'm going to be going into kind of the the, the deeper psychological aspects of his beliefs. On psychology, I'm just going to be trying to describe them as best I can. I'm also going to be including a couple links, uh, hopefully in, in the description, to uh, a psychologist on YouTube, uh, a research psychologist who actually does go more in depth of analysis on him and who is actually qualified uh, academically to address some of the other things that I think are concerning, but I don't feel like I should be talking about. So with that being said, um, what I want to start with is as quickly as possible, go over his history and his background. So we've got a bit of a timeline on who he is and the things he's done. I think that'll be really helpful for contextualizing everything else. After that, we're going to talk, I want to go over and sort of describe his overall worldview and philosophy. And then from there, I'm actually going to go into the main meat of what I wanted to talk about, which is mainly why I don't think he is anywhere near the greatest intellectual of the West, or if he is, to quote a headline that I really, really like, he's the intellectual we deserve. Oh, oh, oh my God. That's fair. So, um, is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'll leave. That's for you to decide by the end of this. Well, that'll, that'll be the question. Like, do you think he's the intellectual we deserve, Rufus? Uh, we'll so we'll keep <laughs> we'll take a vote by the end of it. Um, and if you're if you're listening, let us know on Twitter. And I'm sure I'm sure Marcus will insert all the plugs as necessary by the end. Yeah, so we'll I have in between the two parts. Yeah. Damn well better. <laughs> so uh, I want to. St- yeah. So let's go ahead. And I really want to for the first two sections when I talk about his history and I talk about his beliefs. Obviously, yes, I'm biased against Jordan Peterson. I don't like the things he says. I don't agree with him. A lot of things he says. But I also believe that I've taken the time and effort to understand what he has to say. And I think I can articulate articulate his beliefs. Um in a way that it is value neutral and he would agree accurately reflect what he has to say about things. So with that, I'm going to go ahead. So I have a script that I wrote out. I'm not really, you guys are free to interject comment whenever you want. So uh, Peter Jordan Peterson was born on June 12th, 1962, Edmonton, Alberta, and grew up in Fairview, a small town in the Northwest of the province. So yes, he's can't, he's Canadian for those of you who don't know. Oh, of course. Uh, he was the eldest of three children born to Walter and Beverly Peterson. Beverly was a librarian at Fairview campus of Grand Prairie Regional College. Walter was a school teacher. His middle name is Burnt after his Norwegian great-grandfather. So uh, he also a lot of times goes by the moniker Jordan B. Peterson. I guess that makes sense. Like if you've got a name that's – I imagine Jordan Peterson is actually a relatively common name and it's a way to distinguish yourself. To yeah, whenever um, I heard the name, I was like, that's a very generic name. That could I be literally anybody. Yeah. It could be <laughs> – Right. So a lot of times he like I think all of his books are Mark Jordan B. Peterson. I didn't actually know it was burnt until I uh, uh, relatively recently. So uh, I am never going to call him that. I'm always going to I'm always going to refer to his middle name as something different every single time. <laughs> and if you're listening, you're like, well, that seems kind of rude or disrespectful. Um, don't feel that way. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Stop it. You are incorrect. That is that is wrong. 
But also, no, like I, one of the things that I, that's really difficult about Jordan Peterson and about, you know, talking about him is that he's actually like, another thing in a way that sets him apart from the right wing grifters is that he comes across very often as a very likable person with a pretty good sense of humor. Like, like when he, there are a lot of moments where he's genuinely funny and I've like, oh crap, I, God damn it, he's charming. That's something I think that if you're coming at this from more of a leftist bias or if all you know about him is what you've seen from other leftists you're you're, you're going to miss not because it's in, there's intentionally a conspiracy against him but because like why would you make a video critiquing him when you're folk and then talk about how charming and likable he can be um there's a there's recently a, a thing where marvel comics <laughs> based the latest they they started a new series involving red skull and red skull is based very clearly on a depiction of jordan peterson Oh my god! Which uh, one is it? It's it just came out this year. Um, yeah, it's kind of wild. If you think that like, oh, when I first heard about that, I'm like, oh, that sounds like a stretch. And then I saw the cover of the comic, and it's Jordan. It's Red Skull in a YouTube video, and the title of the YouTube video is called 10 Rules for Life." What? Oh. Yeah, it's very clearly a parallel, and we're gonna go into later. Oh, why anyone would even make that connection? But it irritates me. Kind of like, you know, kind of like how irritating it is that, that Ted Cruz plays into the he's the Zodiac Killer meme. Oh, it's, yeah. it's frustrating because he's such a piece of shit, but it's fun. But it's a funny meme and he takes it well. It's irritating. Uh, it's kind of like that because like Peterson did take that really well. And now he's like sells merch with him, like as like like the Red Skull. And it's uh, it's funny. It's good. Ooh. Oh, except D- don't, don't worry. You won't you won't feel bad about making fun of him later. No, no, I don't feel bad. I feel like that's just a really that's like, oh, they call me a Nazi, and that's a funny joke. So I'm gonna sell swastika T-shirts. No, well, like, like yeah, yeah. I saw big red. At least like Zodiac Killer is not like you know uh, Nazi. <laughs> the yeah, it's a little of prejudice and bigotry. <laughs> you will find that tone deafness is kind of a hallmark of his personality. Uh, anyway. Uh, and during your high school, Jordan Bahamut Peterson became friends with Rachel Notley and her family. Notley became leader of the Alberta New Democratic Party, a mix of liberals and democratic socialists, and 17th premier of Alberta. Uh, Peterson joined the New Democratic Party from ages 13 to 18. Uh, and the reason I brought this up is that Peterson often refers back to his time in the NDP in response to assertions made by those who classify him as a political conservative with right-wing tendencies. In general, he rejects being labeled as a political figure at all, but on the rare occasions where he does, he likes to classify the views that he has or classify himself as a classic British liberal, is how he likes to frame it. Uh, sometimes classical liberal classic liberal and he made the move from like democratic socialist to classic liberal because of the road to Wigan Pier. Okay. Uh, he later transferred to the University of Alberta, where he completed his BA in political science in 1982. Afterwards, he took a year off to visit Europe, where he began studying the psychological origins of the Cold War, 20th century European totalitarianism, and the works of Carl Jung, Friedrich Nietzsche, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, and Fyodor Dostoevsky. Or Dostoevsky. I don't know how to say all those. I hope I pronounced them right. This period, studying abroad, is worth noting as a critical milestone in the formation of Jordan Peterson, uh, as we now know him today, because it marked the beginning of his fascination with authoritarianism, ideology, and totalitarianism. From an interview in the C2C Journal of t- in 2016. My primary interest has always been in the psychology of belief, partly religious belief, and ideology as a subcategory of religious belief. I got interested in ideology in a large part because I got interested in what happened in Nazi Germany, the Soviet Union, the Cultural Revolution in China, and equivalent occurrences in other places in the world. Mostly I concentrated on Nazi Germany and the Soviet Union. I was particularly interested in what led people to commit atrocities in service of their belief. The motto of the Holocaust Museum in Washington is, we must never forget. 
I've learned that you cannot remember what you don't understand. People don't understand the Holocaust and they don't understand what happened in Russia, unquote. He then returned to the University of Alberta and received a BA in psychology in 1984. In 1985, he moved to Montreal to, to attend McGill University, where he earned his PhD in psychology under the supervision of Robert uh, Ophile. In 1991, remain, remained as a postdoctoral fellow at McGill's uh, Douglas Hospital in June 1993. Uh, while at McGill University in Douglas Hospital, he conducted research in familial alcoholism and associated psychopathologies such as childhood adolescent regression and hyperactive behavior. Now, this is all pretty dry stuff, I know, but the reason I'm, I'm doing this and the reason I wanted to include this is I really want to emphasize to someone who is already predisposed to leftist uh, politics, who probably already has a bias of Jordan Peterson, that I, I'm really trying to build a case that he's he's not the same beast as the as most the pseudo-intellectuals that you see the Alex Joneses, the Ben Shapiro's, this guy's actually got some legit academic credentials behind him. Right. Like right. that's, that's like, like he's actually doing real research. He's already got two bachelors and a PhD. So like not saying that he's that automatically doesn't make you a smart or good person, but you have to somewhat respect the fact that he is a serious academic and that does set him apart uh, from a lot in a lot of ways. And I, I've also, in all my research from him, I have, read plenty of people who from his past who were critical of a lot of the things he says today they're critical of him as a public figure i have never heard anyone say that his work during these times was bad or that he was a bad researcher or a bad academic anyway moving on from july 1993 to 1998 peterson lived in arlington massachusetts while teaching and conducting research at harvard university where he was hired as an assistant professor in the psychology department later becoming an associate professor during his time at Harvard, he studied aggression arising from drug and alcohol abuse and showed great readiness to take on research projects, even unconventional ones. And then we take a little bit of a turn. Up to this point, Peterson's pretty much just been an academic, um, hasn't really done a lot publicly. Um, he's published some papers, done some research, but everything kind of changes in 1999, which is when he publishes Maps of Meaning, The Architecture of Belief, in which Peterson describes a comprehensive theory about how people construct meaning from beliefs and make narratives. The book, which took 13 years to complete, draws concepts from various fields, including mythology, religion, literature, philosophy, and psychology, in accordance with the modern scientific understanding of how the brain functions. According to Peterson, his main goal was to examine why individuals and groups alike participate in social conflict, exploring the reasoning and motivations individuals take to support their belief systems. Uh, that eventually result in killing and pathological atrocities, such as the Gulag, the Auschwitz concentration camp, and the Rwanda genocide. Influenced by Carl Jung's archetypal view of the collective unconscious in the book, which we will explain in a little bit later, Peterson says that, quote, an analysis of the world's religious ideas might allow us to describe our essential morality and eventually develop a universal system of morality. Okay, like, that's fairly reasonable, right? Like, hey, like, all these bad things happened. Um, maybe we could figure out why and how to not do that again. Like, sounds reasonable. Um, it, it's, it's, it's also here, though, worth noting that Peterson seems to have a powerfully captivating effect over his students. Author Greg Hurwitz, a former student of Peterson's at Harvard, has cited Peterson as an inspiration of his. And psychologist Shelley Carson, former PhD student and now professor at Harvard, recalled that Peterson's lectures had, quote, something akin to a cult following, unquote, stating, I remember students crying on the last day of class because they wouldn't get to hear him anymore. Which is not that's, something you hear students say a lot about their professor. That's weird. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty weird. Yeah. Like they really, really like him. And I've watched a lot of his lectures. He is, especially his older lectures, um, since since his episodes with um, with uh, benzos and his hospitalizations, uh, multiple hospitalizations. He's 
kind of lost a lot of his original luster. But if you go back and you watch Peterson from the 90s, uh, when he was established academic, like he's a captivating speaker. He's genuinely charismatic. We don't like I wanted to include some of that in here just but I was but it just I had to cut so much for time just because it was it was so much already. But yeah, like it's worth checking out his earlier lectures if you're curious or if that if sounds you'd like to yeah. send me some links, I can put them on the website and the yeah. notes. For sure. Yeah, I will. Anyway. I'm being uh, like Miss Frizzle of the right wing vibes. from this Yeah, yeah. You know? Like fascist Miss Frizzle. <laughs> <laughs> um, following his associate position at Harvard, Peterson returned to Canada in July of 1998 and eventually became a full professor at the University of Toronto. Uh, it doesn't seem like much of a stretch to speculate that this is when Peterson realized he had a knack for public speaking and enjoyed being in the spotlight because this marks the beginning of his transition from an academic into a public figure. Beginning in 2003, Peterson appeared in various TV productions, speaking on a range of subjects from psychological perspectives. In TV Ontario, he, re- he appeared in Big Idea in 2003 and 2006, and in a 13-part lecture based on Maps and Meeting aired in 2004. From 2011, TV Ontario's The Agenda featured Peterson as an essayist and panelist on psychologically relevant cultural issues. In 2013, Peterson registered a YouTube channel named Jordan Peterson Videos and immediately began uploading uh, recording lectures and interviews. Uh, For a while, it seemed like Peterson was settling into a comfortable career as psychology's knockoff brand Neil deGrasse Tyson, going from talk show to podcast to morning news interview explaining psychology to the masses. Seemed, that is... Until in 2016, an event as unexpected as the Spanish Inquisition and as cataclysmic as an attack from the Fire Nation changed everything. (laughs) 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 Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'll be here all night. Uh, The introduction to the Canadian legislature. We're not going to go fully into Bill C-16 right this second, mostly because it's a very emotional topic for me, and I I want to spend this time more describing the facts without getting into the reasons it, it, it could be easy to just dismiss Peterson or say he's not a serious person. Um, this is what for me, the issue that transcends from, Oh, I, I don't agree with him to, I actively dislike him. But uh, for now um, we're just going to kind of like quickly go over it because it's still a really important, it's a pretty important milestone in his career and in who he is today. Anyway, so Canadian bill 16, an act to amend the Canadian human rights act in criminal code is a law passed in the parliament of Canada. According to the legislative summary published on the Canadian Library of Parliament's website, quote, the bill is intended to protect individuals from discrimination within the sphere of federal jurisdiction and stop from being t- the targets of hate propaganda as a consequence of their gender identity or gender expression. The bill adds gender identity or expression to the list of prohibited grounds of discrimination in the Canadian Human Rights Act and the list of characteristics of identifiable groups protected from hate propaganda in the criminal code. It also adds that evidence that an offense was motivated by bias, prejudice, or hate based on a person's gender identity or expression con- constitutes an aggravating circumstances for a court to consider when imposing a criminal sentence. So does that make sense to you guys? I know we kind of breeze through that because I'm not, I don't want to spend most of our time here, but no, yeah. y'all, I, I recall the, the, uh, the, that ruling and I understand what, what happened there. Okay, cool. Actually, that'll be perfect because I don't have as many notes on the C-16 section as I would like. When we get to that, I would really love it if you could chime in because you have, for those of you who don't know, because Marcus doesn't like to brag, he does have like a degree in, a master's degree in criminal justice, so he knows a little bit more about laws and stuff than I do. He knows stuff uh, and things. Anyway, so, uh, so yeah, it's pretty much, it's just adding gender identity to the list of protected classes under the Canadian Human Rights Act, which is basically the Canadian version of the American Civil Rights Act in 1964. We're going to come back more into, the, into that later, but the important thing for now is that this is 
the amount of global media coverage centered on Peterson during this time became the catalyst that catapulted this relatively obscure academic into rock stardom. In 2018, January, Penguin, ha- Penguin Random House published Peterson's second book after Maps of Meeting, 12 Rules for Life, An Antidote to Chaos. Best described as a self-help book, it immediately topped bestsellers in Canada, the United States, and the United Kingdom, and has sold over 5 million copies worldwide and has been translated into 45 different languages. Wow. The 12 Rules for Life audiobook was number one in Audible in Canada and number three in the U.S. It topped the Globe and Mail's Toronto Star nonfiction bestseller list. According to the Toronto Star, it was the biggest Canadian book success story of the year, topping the original nonfiction Canadian nonfiction categories. According to Publishers Weekly, uh, it was reported that this, it was the second best-selling audiobook of 2018 in Canada. In the UK, the book enjoyed five weeks at the top of the Sunday Times bestseller list for general hardcover, selling over 120,000 copies by September. Uh, in the US, the book became number one, became, became the number one nonfiction book and ebook on the Wall Street Journal's best-selling book list. It also topped the Washington Post and Reuters U.S. bestsellers list, reached number two on USA Today's overall list, and topped the hardcover nonfiction and top 10 overall category for Publishers Weekly, selling over 559,000 copies by September 24, 2018. At the end of the year, the hardcover version was the 11th best-selling book with 692,238 copies. Now, I said earlier that my goal for this first section is to strictly give Peterson's background while reserving any personal feelings I have about his beliefs and actions until there is proper context. And I'm still mostly sticking to that, which we're almost done. But I'm going to bend the rules just a little bit here because I think it's worth noting that um, for someone who really likes to talk about how hard people try and cancel him, uh, this doesn't really seem like the type of excess experience by someone whose free speech is under assault. That seems like a recurring theme with uh, conservatives that are saying they're being canceled is they've got books on the New York Times bestselling list about being canceled and all of all of that, all of the airtime on Fox News about how they're being silenced. Which is yeah, the, which is the number one most watched. Canceled they are. <laughs> yeah, the the number one most watched um, you know news channel. They have the I think they have the highest viewership still. Last time I checked, out of like more than CNN, more than anyone else. Um, yeah. Anyway, there's one final important event in the life of Dr. P that we need to mention before we can actually really start going into his ideas. So um, in 2016, Peterson had a severe autoimmune reaction to food and was provide, uh, prescribed clonazepam. In late 2016, he went on a strict diet consisting of only meat and some vegetables in an attempt to control a severe depression. Yeah. I'm and the effects lie, of an autoimmune disorder. Only clonazepam. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, <laughs> that's, that sounded like you were segueing into a joke there. Uh, that was darker than it was. Oh no, that's yeah. Um, a strict diet of drugs and alcohol. <laughs> I mean, I'm not. No, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> in, in, in an attempt to control severe depression, effects of autoimmune disorder, uh, including psoriasis and uveitis, in mid 2018, he stopped eating vegetables and continued eating only beef. Holy shit. <laughs> Eventually, Peterson made various attempts to lessen his intake of antidepressants, but experienced horrific benzodiazepine withdrawal syndrome, described by his daughter as incredible, endless, irresistible restlessness, bordering on panic. According to his daughter, Peterson and his family are unable to find doctors in North America who were willing to accommodate their treatment desires. So in tw- January of 2020, Peterson, his daughter, and her husband flew to Moscow for treatment. Wait. Did you say Moscow? I said Moscow. Doctors there diagnosed Peterson with pneumonia in both lungs upon arrival. And he was put this, which is not funny. It's awful. That sucks. Yeah. And he was put into a medically induced coma for eight days. 
Peter spent four weeks in the intensive care unit, during which he allegedly exhibited a temporary loss of motor skills and, according to Michaela, nearly died several times during this period. After weeks of intensive care, he was unable to speak or write and was taking anti-seizure medicine. Uh, several months after his treatment in Russia, Peterson and his family moved to Serbia for further treatment. In June of 2020, Peterson made his first public appearance in over a year where he appeared on his daughter's podcast, uh, recorded in Belgrade. He said that he was back to my regular self, other than feeling fatigue, and was cautiously optimistic about his prospects. Naturally, the nice thing for Peterson to do was what all of us would have done after nearly dying repeatedly in Russia from a combination of suicidal depression, painkiller withdrawal, and months on an all-meat diet. Write a second best-selling self-help book. Oh my hey, God. King of self-help. That's what I did. <laughs> I mean, once again, we've all been there. It's almost stereotypical, really. Yeah, it, I, I mean... I, mean, I, I, I a podcast, I, but, you know... Oh, thing. yeah. Oh, no, he, he, has, he still has one. Yeah, right. So we're, other than the New York Times best-selling list, we're right on par. For sure. Um, released in March 2nd, 2021, Beyond Order, 12 More Rules for Life is still too early in its life cycle to tell if it will achieve the same astounding sales numbers as its predecessor, but considering it was ranked ninth in the Amazon bestseller list four months before it was supposed to be released, it feels safe to assume that it will. God. And uh, that pretty much brings us up to date on Jordan Peterson. Uh, the only other thing is that uh, he, right now, like, I mean, he's alive, but he does not look well. Um, I'd said before... Part of the reason that I had emphasized how well he's doing now or how articulate he used to be and told people to go and look at that is because um, he's not like that anymore. Uh-huh. Um, so if you guys want to go to the watch together, I, uh, I I throw up a clip of him. Tucker Carlson tried to bring him on the show to talk about being canceled. So this is Jordan Peterson coming on the Tucker Carlson show. I hate his dumb face. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also, people can't see this video. You can go click on the link, but uh, I just want to note like, Guys, like, look at this man. He looks like he's about to pass out. No. Looks like he's dead. Clearly, this is someone who has obviously been to hell and back physically, and he he looks like it. He is not well. Yeah, he's got that Mitch McConnell skin routine. Oh, boy. Also, the All Might Me diet might have had an effect. You know, might have played a part. Really one of the great interviews of all time. By the way, you should say Jordan Peterson's new book out, 12 Rules for Life. That clip is everywhere. Jordan Peterson joins us tonight. It's an honor to have you, uh, Professor. So I've watched you for a while. I've always thought you were a truth teller. One of the chapters in your book is Tell the Truth. That's one of your rules. What are some of the things that you think we're forced to lie about? in this moment uh, yeah i want y'all to like really listen to what he's saying and try and tell me if like how you take it or how you interpret it just completely blind well i don't know if we're forced i think we make a choice uh, that it's, it's sometimes a bitter choice but that's often the case when you're deciding what to say but my sense is often you're in a situation where you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't so you might as well pick the poison you'd rather take and that and you you have a moral obligation to do that so you know, if you're going to say something unpopular and you're going to get attacked for it, the that's a risk. But to shut up and pretend that you hey, think buddy, something you different happy? is to warp your soul. And that's a much bigger risk. Why would he make this as the fucking preview? has to absolutely hate Tucker. So, so for the people who who aren't able to see podcasts, um, what you need to go look at this video because yeah, like after that absolutely incoherent rant, Tucker's face. It's more. I've never seen someone look more dumbfounded. (laughs) The words that he just heard. (laughs) 
his like jaw. Like, normally he's like got his eyes looking like he's confused, but his jaw was unhinged at the end of that. Uh, he just it, genuinely was completely lost in the sauce. Yeah, um, his reaction was actually worth. So it actually accurately depicted how I was feeling for once in Tucker Carlson's like <laughs> for, for once we're most... sitting on the same side of the camera as Tucker Carlson. Just what? Oh, uh, that is the most relatable he's ever been. Face. It was so good. <laughs> Oh my god. Yeah. So, in part of the reason besides just the fact that like watching Tucker Carlson just not know what to do with what just happened, the fact that that's a, you know, a reward in and of itself is great. But part of the reason I wanted to show that is that like this is um this is part of the reason Jordan Peterson is in my belief he's not part of the the right-wing grift. Okay, so what I'm going to do now is we're going to go ahead and move move on to his actual beliefs. Because uh, I, I covered kind of his background, but we didn't really actually talk about his opinions on anything. And for a long time, I struggled to find a way to summarize his worldview because, it, like you probably can already tell, it gets pretty convoluted. Uh, however, I recently stumbled across a meme phrase on Reddit that I think captures it perfectly. Y'all, y'all ever hear anyone say "reject modernity, embrace tradition"? Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. That's, That's Jordan Peterson. Uh, yeah, I, in a I sentence. knew that was him. That's Jordan Peterson in a sentence. Um, it can be difficult to condense everything he believes into one coherent thesis because the variety of cultural issues he takes a stance on is pretty big. But the common undercurrent running through all of them is this idea that progressive ideas will somehow lead to disaster by diverting humanity's paths away from the traditions that have guided humanity to where we are today. So uh, from the introduction of 12 Rules for Life, quote, We are thus eternally caught between the most diamantine rock and the hardest of places. Loss of group-centered belief renders life chaos, life chaotic, miserable, intolerable. Presence of group-centered beliefs make conflict with other groups inevitable. In the West, we have been withdrawing from our tradition, religion, and even nation-centered cultures, partly to decrease the danger of group conflict. But we are increasingly falling prey to the desperation of meaningless, and that is no improvement at all. However, I feel like it's unfairly reductionist to describe Peterson's belief system as merely new thing bad, old thing good. So Because he's I, not religious, right? Right. He, yes, that, that's a good point. But defending religious... Uh... Kind of. It's both less and more complicated than that. Um, and actually, it's good that you brought that up, because uh, what we're going to... This is the part of the psychology I mentioned before we started the podcast, but there is some kind of like deep psycho psychological theory going on at play. Um, and I'm not going to pretend like I'm going to articulate it correctly. I want I will include a link that we can share to anyone in the audience who wants to go look this up later. But to really get into and understand Jordan Peterson, we have to at least do a brief overview of Carl Jung. It's pretty much impossible to talk about Jordan's beliefs without going into Jung. I really tried to avoid as much as possible because I'm not, again, I'm not a psychologist and I don't want to speak authoritatively about like some pretty complicated theory that I've only been reading about for a few months. But here's the summary of it. I would encourage anyone the archetypes? who wants... That's who Young is, right? The right. archetype of man? Okay. It, yeah, Got yeah, it. yeah. The archetype guy. Yeah. If you, if you have studied psychology um, and I'm butchering this, let me know. Uh, but I will have a video that people please can go read. send him a very angry DM after the show. <laughs> yes, please. It, I need human contact. <laughs> so let's talk. So let's, let's really quickly. We're going to have to talk a little about Carl Jung because Jung is someone like probably Peterson's number one inspiration in his words um, when it comes to a lot of his theories. So Carl Jung was a Swiss psychiatrist and psychoanalyst who founded the theory of analytical psychology which is a lot of what like modern psychological and like um, 
psychological counseling is based off of today. Marcus, it sounds like you've heard a little bit about this guy before. If you want to chime in at any point with some anything you know, please do. Uh, um, yeah, because my minor was in psychology in my undergrad, and then psychology is also mixed in criminology. And so I awesome. Know, I, I have a vague idea of him uh, and his theories. Okay, cool. Well, that's going to come into play because he was hugely influential and like a Jesus. lot of... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so did Peterson. So you got that going for you. And look where so, I ended up. <laughs> uh, another really important thing to note about Jung is that he was a big collaborator with Freud who founded uh, the psychoanalysis. Uh, the two men conducted a lengthy correspondence and collaborated for a while on a joint vision of human psychology, but eventually had a breaking up because Jung was kind of like, I think... Hear me out. I don't think everyone wants to bang their mother. And Freud was like, get out. <laughs> and, and let me finish. Hold on. Hold on. I, I think that maybe there are a few guys. <laughs> I know where you're gay. going with this. Get out. <laughs> they want to bang their dads. <laughs> yeah. It's not all about the moms. Some people yeah. have daddy issues, dog. Yeah. it's Yeah. Like that was one of the, from what I was reading online and mostly Wikipedia, but other articles too, it seems like the general consensus is that's what they broke up because he kind of was like, I like most of what you're saying, but I think the, the Oedipus complex might not be the foundation for all you're, of it. You're hitting it a little hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe uh, it's just you. It feels like you started there and then branched out. Yeah. Yep. You, uh, maybe you're just the one that wants to fuck your mom, dude. Yeah. It, yeah, exactly. Well, um, have have you discovered right. projection yet? <laughs> Have you guys ever just sat, like, when you're just alone at night in your bed and all the thoughts are creeping in? Have you ever popped in your head and you just wondered, how hot was Freud's mom? <laughs> Absolute it's not, status. I can't say not before about now, it, but I will now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, now that's, that's, that, <laughs> if there's for, one thing I want people to leave this podcast thinking about afterwards is how hot was Freud's mom. That's the main thing I want that's the main takeaway I want to give people. That's good. Uh, That's a good one. So Definitely a lot of times when people attractive. on the left talk about Jung and talk about Jung and talk about his relationship to Peterson, they like to bring up the Jung fact is that pretty fashy. Is that yeah, they like where to, you're going with this? Yeah, he he had some early uh, fascist sympathies and had some nice things to say about the Nazis. But it would be unfair to call him a Nazi because he eventually did change his mind and openly expressed regret that he ever uh, agreed with them. Eventually even helped out the Allies. He was a friend of uh, uh, Alan Dulles, who would go on to be one of the founders of the CIA. He even helped treat Alan's wife, uh, right. which put him in touch with the Eisenhower administration. He even helped the Allies by writing psychological profiles of Hitler and the Nazis, and apparently it was it was useful enough that Eisenhower himself took the time to write him a letter of commendation. So it's we're not going to go into Jung super in depth unless Marcus, unless you have something specific to say, well, because just, it's yeah. The only caveat I have is that while he may later in his life have altered his theories, when he wrote the psychological theories that people will have researched and that we all talk about today, he was pretty fashy. And I won't say right. Nazi, but fascism was running deep for sure and that the 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 link between uh union uh fascist ideology and peterson is probably something that someone much smarter and qualified than me can explore but it's 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 something that a lot of people on the left really like to leap to when they accuse peterson and they don't it's really complicated and nuanced i'm not saying it's not there i'm saying it's a lot more complicated than Jung was a nazi so peterson's a nazi which is right. the connection that's... that a lot of people make and that's that's it's frustrating because I don't like to be in the position of defending him, but I, this is something I see a lot. Like I, I, a lot, I saw a lot of videos when I was researching him thinking like, like, aha, here's the smoking gun. When it's like, no, there's a lot, 
there's a lot of other things you can point to that you it is more complicated than that it's more of like a thread in a really fucked up blanket right that's a (laughs) real fucked up blanket as marcus alluded to earlier one of the things that jung is most known for is the theories of archetypes and the collective unconscious um i found a really good uh summary from a actual um from an actual philosophy site uh, about Peterson. So the concept of archetypes and the collective unconscious are, they're really complex theories and I'm going to simplify them as best I can because it's actually important in the formation of who Peterson is and he references this a lot. But I, I, I want to specifically emphasize here for the sake of honesty and clarity that I am not a psychologist and I am re- really oversimplifying this, but I think in a way that's accurate for the purposes of what we need to talk about today. So uh, I found basically the, it's the idea that mythology and religion are an invaluable resource for understanding the human psyche, the human psyche and that there are universal archetypes and the collective unconscious, which is basically just humanities, like the, the high, the, not the, the high mind. Personalities. But like, yeah, like, like like a personality type. Yeah, thing. The, yeah, that can help us, and they can help us understand how the human mind has evolved to mediate order, mediate order and chaos in nature. So TLDR, the collective unconscious is are just universal ideas that you know transcends culture or time that are just universal to humanity, and we can look at it. And the way Peterson explains it is that he, he his argument is that we can look at myths to determine myths are the lens through which we can perceive the collective unconscious and learn objective truths about about ourselves and about human nature, which is uh, not entirely a crazy for, idea. Uh, you remember Cabin, uh, what is it, Cabin in the Woods? Oh, yeah. I love that movie. So, that, so how they had those, like, archetypes? Yeah. Not yeah, that's, that's, that's sort of, yeah, because all of our modern and historic storytelling has been based off of uh, either intentionally or not the archetypes that Jung identifies yeah so moving on so the the reason we bring up Jung and archetypes is because once you once you are familiar with the idea of mythology and archetype like and archetypes and the collective unconscious um it becomes really obvious how pervasive it is whenever you actually read peterson so i'm, I'm gonna read uh, from the uh, introduction for 12 rules for life uh quote a shared cultural system stabilizes human interaction, but is also a system of value, a hierarchy of value, where some things are given priority and importance and others are not. In the absence of such a system of value, people simply cannot act. In fact, they can't even perceive, because both action and perception require a goal, and a valid goal is, by necessity, something valued. We must have the meaning inherent in a profound system of value, or the horror of existence rapidly becomes paramount. Then nihilism beckons with its hopelessness and despair. Um, in a, going on, you can see nihilism uh, always beckons. <laughs> then yeah, the ni- yeah. The void it, is always calling. For sure. So you can hear that, right? Like the, that was a lot of Peterson words, but it, there actually is a coherent thread there if you read it like six different times six different ways and take take a nap and then wake back up and read it again take a couple the, adderall yeah oh at least at least four <laughs> so you can the the thread here is just the idea um it's this idea that's really important to peterson which is just deriving meaning like what like how do we derive meaning how do we derive in a godless universe how do we derive meaning and purpose and we derive them using a system of archetypes and values. It's really messy, and I don't want to. 
I can't really do it justice. And I'm not going to. It's just important to identify that like that's a common thread uh, and it will come up a lot as we talk about them. Moving on, you can see this again in a 2018 New York Times interview that he did with a uh, reporter, Nellie Bowles, who I love. She we're going to talk about this article a lot because it's really important. Uh, it gets referenced a lot because of a certain quote he says at one point that got him in a lot of trouble. Um, but that's another story for about 10 minutes later. So the quote, so from, from the article, wherever he goes, he speaks in sermons about the inevitability of who we must be. Uh, Peterson, you know, you can say, well, isn't it unfortunate that chaos is represented by the feminine? Well, it might be unfortunate, but it doesn't matter because that's how it's represented. It's been represented like that forever. And there are reasons for it. You can't change it. It's not possible. There is, it is underneath everything. If you change those basic categories, people wouldn't be human anymore. They'd be something else. They'd be transhuman or something. We wouldn't be able to talk to these new creatures, unquote. Okay. So like. That sounds awesome. Right? For, yeah, yeah. First of all. Wordsmith. <laughs> well, also like I, these transhumans sound so cool and I can't wait to meet them. Um, but so also. By, by categorizing women as not chaotic, you become transhuman. That's all it takes. That's all we needed. Yeah. That right. Was the code all along. That's yes, exactly. <laughs> I'll be right back. I'm going to go transhuman real quick. Right. So, yeah. So his argument within 12 rules for life is that if you look at mythology, women are always chaotic and men always embody the force of order. Now, I haven't read Maps of Meeting, so which is where he actually lays out the argument in, in presumably more depth, mostly because in his own words within the first rule, chapter of 12 Rules for Life, he refers to Maps of Meeting as dense, which if this is a book that he wrote and he is calling it dense... Right. Yo, um, I haven't even read that shit, dog. I, I, I don't, I don't want to go anywhere near it. I'm sorry. Like, no, thank you. Because you guys are... Right. No, I like my, my ADHD brain can barely get through this 12 rules, which is a relatively streamlined uh, streamlined book. The other thing about Jung, though, that we need to talk about, the inspired Peterson, that I don't really see talked a lot about in the news at all, is Jung was very into dreams. And not, you know, like you've, you've heard psychologists say like, oh, yeah, you can learn things about yourself. Like if you're you can't move in your dreams, it, it's it means that you don't feel like you have enough control of your life. Um, that's not the type of like dream theory we're talking about. We're talking more about like prophecy. Oh, like precognition dream. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to read a little bit from the opening again of 12 Rules for Life, because uh, this is something about Jordan Peterson that not a lot, not enough people talk about, whether you're for him or whether you like what he has to say or not. Um, he believes in prophetic dreams. So from the book. I have learned to pay attention to dreams, not least because my training as a clinical psychologist. Dreams shed light on the dim places where reason itself has yet to voyage. I have studied Christianity a fair bit, more than other religious traditions, although I am always trying to redress this lack. Like others, therefore, I must and do draw from what I do know than from what I do not. Dooby dooby doo. <laughs> anyway, on to the dream. Now, now he, now he's talking about. Uh, now he starts talking about this dream that he had. Uh, I knew cathedrals were constructed in the shape of a cross, and at the point under the dome was the center of the cross. I knew that the cross was simultaneously the point of greatest suffering, the point of death and transformation, and the symbolic center of the world. That was not so where I wanted to be. I managed to get down out of the heights, out of the symbolic sky, back to safe, familiar, anonymous ground. I don't know how. Then still in my dream, I returned to my bedroom and my bed and tried to return to sleep and the peace of unconsciousness. As I relaxed, however, I could feel my body transported. A great wind was dissolving me, preparing to propel me back to the cathedral to place me once again at that central point. There was no escape. It was a true nightmare. 
I forced myself to awake. The curtains behind me were billowing over, were blowing over my pillows. Half asleep, I looked at the foot of my bed. I saw the great cathedral doors. I shook myself completely awake, and they disappeared. My dream placed me at the center of being itself, and there was no escape. It took me months to understand what this meant. During this time, I came to a more complete personal realization of what the great stories of the past continually insist upon. The center is occupied by the individual. The center is marked by the cross, as X marks the spot. Existence at that cross is suffering and transformation, and that fact above all else needs to be voluntarily accepted. It is possible to transcend slavish adherence to the group and its doctrines and simultaneously to avoid the pitfalls of its opposite, extreme nihilism. It is, this, it is possible instead to find sufficient meaning in individual consciousness and experience. Jordan, Pe Jordan, you had a fucking dream, dog. Dude ate too much hot sauce before bed. You had a book about you, it. You ate some bad chili. You, I don't, the, the point, the point that I'm trying to get at here is like, people need to understand, because a lot of people, one of the things I run into that's troubling about people who like him is that they'll make excuses and like minimize what he has to say sometimes to the point of where they're not accurately, actually being accurate. Like I'll try and talk about the mysticism stuff with people and they'll be like, well, like psychology has, you know, says dreams are important. That's a, that, that's a legitimate thing. And it's like, yeah. well, yes. But like that's we talked not about before, what he meant, but it's what no. he literally said, and it actually does mean. Yes, like he's talking about how he realized that this dream he had, where he was in a church, told him that it was his purpose to like that 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 individualism is the answer to suffering. That that is that is the the answer like finding meaning in individual, basically bootstrap theory. Right. Uh, is the antidote to to chaos and the antidote to to suffering because he had a dream. And that's his words. Um, yeah, like that's like that's that's what he's saying. You can't say that's not what he's saying. That's in his book. This, which again, you know, this is the book that was that sold out like globally everywhere. Right. That has five um, million copies sold in forty-five languages. Yeah. Yep. Uh, nice. Yeah. Exactly. That's that's the introduction to this book. Um, it's it, it's. And if, if you think that you're like, oh, well, that's just one isolated example, maybe he, he just was getting overly dramatic. Uh, we haven't even talked about his wife yet. Uh, from an article by Bernard Schiff, who helped him get an associate professorship in, in psychology at Toronto University. This is a quote. This is Peterson talking. You don't understand. I am willing to lose everything. My home, my job, everything, because I believe in this. This meaning like his, his, his message to the world, his, his role in, in saving humanity from from chaos um then the shift picks up and the, the author of the article starts talking and then he said with the intensity he is now famous for quote bernie tammy his wife had a dream and sometimes her dreams are prophetic she dreamed that it was five minutes to midnight unquote mm -hmm. oh my god <laughs> he, <laughs> she dreamed he, about he, that lincoln park album he he's she, the five minutes to midnight, the end of the world so that's like the this, not only does jordan peterson believe that like his dreams have revealed to him that individualism is the have, that his dreams have given him the antidote to chaos. Which, like, I'm not like I'm not even saying he's wrong about the individualism aspect yet. I'm not even touching on that. I'm just saying like he's getting tr like universal truths about humanity from dreams. Yeah. And not only that, but he believes that um, his because of a dream that his wife had, he believes the stakes are like end of times level stakes. That that's how important his message is. Jesus. So when you when, when you understand that um, when you when you filter Jordan's actions through like go go back and think about how he like almost killed himself on antidepressants like no what like no fucking wonder this dude's miserable all the time he thinks that it he literally has the weight of the world on his shoulders 
This is someone who believes he has a message for the, the world. He is the, the prof, like some sort of prophetic figure and is responsible for saving humanity. Like that's, that's how seriously he takes his message. Has he been quoted saying things like they hated Jesus too yet? Oh my God. He compares himself to, he is a cross. He, well, okay. He hasn't well, called himself Jesus, but he uses cross metaphors. And, and even if you go back in that Tucker Carlson video, he even mentions that he'd been crucified. So I'm not saying he caught, he's describing himself as Jesus, but he did try and buy a church to preach in. Anyway, another thing that too, like if you look at a lot of the people that he references as inspiration, people like Alexander Solzhenitsyn, Friedrich Nietzsche, uh, Nietzsche in particular, something like a lot of people don't understand that the quote like, that Nietzsche is famous for, uh, God is dead and we've killed him or man has killed him. That quote is not um, saying that like, yay, death to God. It's, it's a regret for the loss of religious tradition and the chaos that it would plunge society into. It's the same like it's it's very clear that he's read these people and they played a big impact uh, in his in his belief systems. So now, if you're a little bit confused as to what Jordan Peterson believes is leading us down this road, right? Because we've talked about we talked about the stakes that he that that he thinks are at play. We've talked about what he thinks is the antidote to chaos, mainly that you find meaning and individualism, which is like not the best summary, but broadly speaking, that's that's true. That that's what he's arguing. Um, but if you're confused, just like okay, well then what's what's the alternative? What's what's leading us towards chaos? Um, I'm going to read the full unedited quote I read before. I, I read an abridged quote, a version of this quote before, but I'm going to read the whole thing uh, from the CT, the interview from the C2C Journal in 2016 at the height of the Bill C-16 controversy. It's a bit long and rambly, but I need to read the whole thing without any skips, without any cutting, because people people won't believe what I how I represent Peterson's beliefs if I don't let him do the, if I don't let him represent himself. So here we go. My primary interest has always been on the psychology of belief, partly religious belief, and ideology is a subcategory of religious belief. One of Jung's propositions was that whatever a person valued most highly is their god. If people think they are atheistic, it means that they are unconscious of their gods. In a sophisticated religious system, there is a positive and negative polarity. Ideologies simplify that polarity, and in doing so, demonize and oversimplify. I got interested in ideology in a large part because I got interested in what happened in Nazi Germany, the Soviet Union, the Cultural Revolution in China, and equivalent occurrences in other places in the world. Mostly, I concentrated on Nazi Germany and the Soviet Union. I was particularly interested in what led people to commit atrocities in the service of their belief. The motto of the Holocaust Museum in Washington is, we must never forget. I learned that you cannot remember what you don't understand. People don't understand the Holocaust, and they don't understand what happened in Russia. I have called this course, I have this course, excuse me, called Maps of Meaning, which is based on a book I wrote by the same name, and it outlines these ideas. One of the things that I'm trying to convince my students of is that if they had been in Germany in the 1930s, they would have been Nazis. Everyone thinks, not me, that's not right. It was mostly ordinary people who committed the atrocities that characterized Nazi Germany and the Soviet Union. Part of the reason I got embroiled in this gender identity controversy was because of what I know about things that went wrong in the Soviet Union. Many of the doctrines that underlie the legislation that I've been objecting to share structural sim- that I've been objecting to, excuse me, share structural similarities with the Marxist ideas that drove Soviet communism. And here he brings it home. All of that, the buildup, everything I just read was all culminating in this. The thing I object to the most was the insistence that people use these made-up words like Z and Zer, that that they are the a construction of authoritarian, that they are the construction of authoritarians. There isn't a hope in hell that I'm going to use their language because I know where that leads. Wait, give me one second. He thinks that the use of pronouns will lead to authoritarianism and genocide. Huh? Correct. Who's committing the genocide? The people that are asking for their preferred pronouns. 
If there's anything I, we know, who are they I, genociding? I don't entirely know. Um, Does it's he think just... white men are that are straight white men are going to get genocided by? The, I don't can like, know. Cat, it's, cat it's trans right. Girl? I I don't know. Yeah, I also want to want to emphasize here. This was in an interview done in 2016. This is before all the medical stuff went down. This is even before. So he's um, coherent at this point. This is before the painkiller addiction and all of that. This is before he wrote Twelve Rules. Um, all of that. This is just him. Yeah, it's it's nonsense. All he spent his it's, life lear- like, learning yeah, exactly. about like exactly like Nazism specifically. Right. And if there's one thing he learned from that, it's that. That pronouns to, murder people. Acceptance fellow man is what caused genocide. Right. Um, one of the things that I find fascinating about Jordan Peterson, and if you're a Jordan Peterson fan and you're maybe not, like, you're already, you're still clinging to something, ask yourself, for someone who talks a lot about authoritarians, why doesn't he ever talk about the, what came before the Russian Revolution, the uh, the institution, the state that existed that got overthrown by the and became the Soviet Union. Why doesn't he ever talk about um, what France was like before the French Revolution and what led to that? Why doesn't he talk about Tsars or kings? Why is it always Soviet dictators or the authority of the the authoritarianism of the mob? Um, and one of the things, yeah, I think if I could ever just sit down and have a conversation with him. I think that's what I would ask is like, well, hey, like I get that. Like, yeah, Stalin was a monster. Sure. But first of all, like, you know, Stalin kind of came after the revolution in Soviet Russia. And also the I would posit that a bigger factor than pronoun usage in the Soviet or or whatever the equivalent would have been, obviously not literally pronouns then. Although maybe he might think that. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, I always thought that the, the, the impetus behind the Russian revolution was the fact that the Tsar was a monster and was just letting all his friends rob the people and starving them and right, throwing anyone into jail who was like, maybe, maybe take care of your people. Cause it's horrible living in Russia right now. Also the Tsar, Tsar Nicholas was extremely anti-Semitic and was look up the Russian pogroms of the early 20th century, like uh, yeah. conducted by the Russians before Hitler was even a thing. So yeah, like, like he literally believes that, that um, prone, like use, using new pronouns, is going to lead us down the same path. Were that the Germans super down for looking for pronouns and the Jews resistant to that? Is that how he views that? I don't... It's really hard to it's tell. It's the secret history of uh, the Holocaust. The Germans <laughs> were all femboys that were trying to... <laughs> oh it's, it, it, it obviously the makes... Like, and the Jews were standing their ground and refusing to use they right. them. It's, it's, it's absurd. It's absurd. And anyone who thinks it's not... Go read a fucking history book, for the love of God. Jordan Peterson is not a historian. Now, obviously, I'm not either, which is why I'm not saying take me at my word. I'm saying go read a fucking history book, and then it will like it will become obvious how absolutely ludicrous that claim is. That's that's demented nonsense. Um, we're not even on the section yet where I actually start really criticizing his beliefs because that wasn't actually like a critique. That was me just saying what he believed and us all acknowledging that it's just bold faced nonsense. Like it, it doesn't take any deconstruction, right? Because he says it himself. He said like it was not. Yeah, there's there's nothing to dissect. It is just obviously ridiculous. Um, the last thing I want to talk about when we're uh, talk in terms of just addressing his belief systems, one of the biggest things that is important to him are the concept of hierarchies in society, uh, another hallmark of fascism. It, to, so for that, I want to kind of I, I want him to explain it in his words. So I found a, a simple little video uh, where he goes into that. A lot of the meaning that people find in their lives is purpose driven. 
And in order to put effort into something, to work towards something, you have to assume axiomatically that what you're working towards is better than what you have. Because why else would you do it? And there's a relationship, like if it's way better than what you have, it's obviously proportionally difficult. So you try to balance difficulty with, with positivity, let's say, something like that. But you're always aiming up if you're aiming. And if you're not aiming, then you don't really have any purpose, and that deprives your life of meaning. That's not good, because if your life is deprived of meaning, then what you're left with is the suffering. It's not neutral, right? It's negative. So, now the problem with having to aim up is that that produces a hierarchy, right? Because if you posit an aim, then everyone arrays themselves along a hierarchy of better at it to worse at it, right? And it, it doesn't matter. Like, if, if you... If you create basketball as a game. A hundred years later, you create people who are hyper-specialized at basketball, and they're great at it, and virtually everyone else is bad. So it doesn't matter. As soon as you produce a value, a value proposition, you produce a hierarchy. The problem with a hierarchy is it produces inequality. The problem with inequality is it produces resentment. Right, but you can't get rid of the damn hierarchy because they produce inequality and resentment, because then you don't have anywhere to go. So that's not an answer. Okay, so let's say you're trying to deal with the fact that you have to put up with a hierarchy if you're going to have any values. Well, how do you escape from the resentment trap? And the answer is you do an intelligent multidimensional analysis of your life. It's like by the time you're 30, I would say, you're a pretty singular person. You know, you're, you're, you're unique in particular, and your life has multiple dimensions, and you're more or less successful or not along many of those dimensions. Right. But it's so completely the point. ridiculous Look game to right pick there. someone else yeah. arbitrarily right who's doing much now, better now. than you on one Obviously. of those dimensions to assume that you're a missing. failure because of that or that the world is unfair because of that without knowing in full detail all of the rest so, of the elements so of their life. That. But like to him, like social hierarchies in terms of like rank are a fund like a fundamental accepted like you have to have hierarchies in society for society to function it's inevitable it's inescapable um and that's 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 also a key component to his like core thesis about meaning i like how his problem with hierarchies is the resentment itself and not what causes that resentment right like, oh, yeah that, oh, that's a good point stop about feeling what resentful. causes that resentment it's just yeah, yeah, it's definitely it not just, being it just pops up or and not Who knows being able like, to, like, yeah. And he even says equality. Like he 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 like he alludes all to right it. Parts. Right. And then he runs away and I don't his solution he doesn't really explain it very coherently here and I don't want to keep playing the video. But yeah, so his his thesis is more or less that like he doesn't explain it well here, but I'll, I'll explain it for him because we really need to to keep moving on and if I keep letting him. So what he's saying his reason for why we have to accept hierarchies and his solution to the resentment over inequality is that if everyone focuses on themselves and does their best within the hierarchy, then that's how you avoid resentment. Um, but um, right. why would everyone do their best if they're not getting returned equally from or, or like at least fairly from the hierarchy? Just accept right. that you will never be there. And, and also, it's not arbitrary. On... Jeff Bezos but... is not an arbitrary selection of people that I'm comparing my life to because he did. He works less than the majority of people who I know who suffer. Uh, 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 <laughs> uh, you cannot judge him for what he has because you don't know. Mm -hmm. I think he said like literally every aspect of his life. 
And yet when we learn about all of the aspects of their life later on, it turns out they're far, far worse than we ever could have imagined. <laughs> yeah. Um, and days, I think, example. or I mean, look at, yeah. And, and, and that's, no, that's, I'm... now you're starting to see the tie in where, why I don't think Jordan, it's weird. It's funny how Jordan Peterson, not funny. I need to, I need a better vocabulary. It's <laughs> fascinating. It's it's super rad. It's really kind of interesting how he protests against being right wing, calls himself a classical liberal, believes he invented like these are all like his theory that he believes is all like obviously he has a very high opinion of his ideas. Um, and then you hear it and it's just like, oh, this is this is kind of fashy. Oh, so you just we hate have poor to, people. Got it. Like, we, we have to ex- we have to ex- not even hate poor people that like it's it's um it's a resistance to the to postmodernism because postmodernism is mostly defined by recognizing the problems in the systems the problem not every problem can be solved you can't just solve societal problems by asking people like everyone fix themselves like yes we all have an individual responsibility to be the best person that we can obviously but like not everyone has we're not 100% free agents with our own will like, right. it, which if is something that you should know like or yeah. food it's really hard to fix some of the other parts of myself or even even to jordan peterson himself the fact that like he he needs to take medicine to keep himself from killing himself and a lot of i know a lot of people that do we um there are a lot of problems that can't be resolved just by looking at the world strength through a lens will, of, yeah. yeah like through strength individual strength of will um and yeah which transitions us perfectly we'll we'll break now but that kind of transitions us to the part where we'll actually i actually finally get to start really going into uh really dismantling his credibility all right i believe that's all the time we have for today join us next time to listen to a continued discussion on jordan peterson's life uh don't forget to check out the website to see any of the videos uh for this episode or any other episodes as always you can follow us on twitter instagram facebook and yeah we'll see you for the next one news news